let's talk about our first impressions of the movie. Um, you can say anything you like, just no spoilers in this section. We'll get into the spoilers later on. Any anticipation you had going into it, pre-hype build-up, you know what I mean? Like, and in, in, in how the movie played for you. Um, so I'm going to go first. I'm going to go to you, Zach. So. Okay, my uh, hype build-up was pretty high because, like you said, you know, I didn't see a trailer for it. I kind of kept my eyes averted when we would see other movies. But I love historical epics. And Viking culture is something that's, like, you know, Edgar said, not a lot of films have been made and really done well about it. So I felt like this could be a chance for, like, just a really epic, hardcore, realistic violence type of movie. But once I saw it, it was even better than that. I mean, it's shot. Just the scenery and the environment's great. It's just beautiful. But like I said earlier, just his continuous camera shots on you know certain elongated scenes really immersed you into that scene and then you've got just the greatest music behind it all the viking whoever composed it did a great job because that gets you so into it you know especially with the rage that's kind of built into this movie just that animalistic rage so i really thought you know right off the beginning you just you get that sinister just heaviness of just this is going to be just a brutal movie so I, I really liked it. If I remember uh, correctly, I think it, it was in that little tidbit that you sent us, Scott. Uh, I think it, the director himself had a pretty decent hand in the uh, the soundtrack as well. Yeah, I gather he did. I think like uh, he was, yeah, like involved in like the like the chanting and like developing that kind of like how they were going to make the, the, the soundtrack like that. And it, it, there's a quote from him where he said that he's like, he lost his voice on the first day when he was doing it because he was like screaming and like grunting and doing all that chanting stuff. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Um, okay, so yeah, Jason, over to you, buddy. Uh, so I had zero hype going into this because I practically did not know what the heck it was. I don't know how I missed seeing all the trailers or anything like that, uh, but you had mentioned, hey, you know, you should go see it. We're going to do this thing. And so I was like, all right, fine. And literally the day that I went to go see it, I, I watched 30 seconds of a trailer, found out that it's a movie about Vikings, said bet, turned off the, the, the trailer, bought a ticket and went and saw it. So I went in pretty much completely blind, uh, but it was really good. Uh, straight up Skyrim, level up screen included. I it, It's cool that you enjoyed it so much being that like you didn't have any like pre-hype going into it. When Eric and I get into it, we were like, this is like our Super Bowl going to see the new uh, Eggers movie. So like our hype level was like so high, but I think it's interesting for you to not have like that hype just to be like, okay, boom. No, and my, my baseline was a resting heartbeat. <laughs> there, there was no hype. <laughs> okay. So we're two for two so far. Eric, boss man. Um, well, yeah, like you said, it was, uh, I mean, I was super hyped when they released the uh, movie poster. I was like, it just it the movie poster looked epic so um and then uh realizing that he made it um it just it just built the entire time um trailers second trailer everything um uh, just so going going into it i was um really looking forward to it and honestly it didn't disappoint um in the beginning i would say probably the first 30 40 minutes of it 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 had that 
very much that signature um Edgar style from the uh from the the boy and his father getting together kind of like having that that uh that rites of passage scene you know um before everything goes down just classic the to me that just that that was that was the Edgars that I was uh ready for with the kind of very uh hallucinogenic type visuals and um and everything uh, from the language and 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 trying to kind of decipher everything that was going on it it, it really kind it really put you in the world just right out of the gate and then after after that time did you really kind of kick into that uh that kind of epic adventure story and revenge story and it, all that kicks in and it, it wraps up really nice um and i don't think i don't think there was like a a part at all that i was like uh they could have left that out or i just wasn't satisfied with how this played out or anything like that it was like every single scene uh how they kind of expanded the story how how you got a little bit a little bit of uh uh mythology with it all of it just just worked really well um even if uh, i mean i could see how some people would want the ending to go a certain way i was completely satisfied with the ending so um i mean i was super hyped going into it and it it was worth my time like like they say i mean it, it's it was worth the calories and i would <laughs> i would gladly eat it again so this movie was made for me by seeing it on the Dolby screen. Made for me. I feel like mm -hmm. if you were to see this movie and on a screen that didn't play. So Zach talked about it. The soundtrack for this movie is phenomenal. The, the volume that they played the movie at was perfect. The movie was like, it was so brash and loud and aggressive on that screen with that sound system. Like I can't imagine seeing this any other way. And I've, I might be wrong in this, but I feel like if you were to see it on a lesser screen with a lesser sound system, I don't think this movie would kick as hard as it does. You know what I mean? No, I, I agree. agree totally. Yeah, I agree. So for me, it's, yeah, going back to that, like the way that we interact with things. Now, I'm not saying that like, obviously not everybody has the capability of recreating a good sound system at home. It's expensive. It's not everybody has the capability of having like a 4K TV. They're expensive. There's a lot of barriers to entry but i feel like when it comes to movie theaters like this is a movie that demands to be seen on a big screen and it demands to be seen like that and like that's what's exciting about this movie is because it's really giving you a reason to go to the movies it's as much of a spectacle for me i feel this movie is the new avatar movie is going to be in terms of like it's a cinema movie first and foremost it's shot on film it's a straight <laughs> up it's a straight up it's a blockbuster in a way it's a summer blockbuster in a way even though it's not really but it's a movie that demands that big screen attention and for me that's why i love it and like if i can get that but i can also get eggers doing it or somebody i find interesting that's even better it's like the cherry on top for me so yeah loved it so we're going to take a quick break when we come back we'll talk up spoilers and we'll get into the nitty-gritty of the northman
And we're back. Thanks for sticking around. Uh, we're going to talk about the Northman a little bit further in detail. We're gonna, this section of the show obviously is spoilers, so fair warning to anybody who's listened to this point. There will be plot-specific spoilers going ahead from now. So, okay, guys, what do you want to talk about first? I mean, like, the the plot, as we said, is a, is a straightforward revenge movie. Um, it really follows the... Uh, the the, like that classic uh, tale of uh, a, a prince, basically a prince ousted from his rightful uh, position as heir to the throne by his father, the king's brother, which obviously there you go, there's your um, king. Um, and then obviously as from there, he, what I think is kind of interesting about this movie is the the introduction of that storyline. So we, we've spent very little time on the ground. So like we're introduced to him as a young boy, then we we get introduced to his father Ethan Hawke when he comes back the king, and then um, obviously that's the introduction to his mother Nicole Kidman, and then we get a brief quick introduction to his brother who enters in um, and has like like has that like one on one kind of like interaction with Willem Dafoe who's like court jester so to speak or like the right hand man slash jester for the king, and then really after that there's the there's the coming of age ceremony thing and then automatically we go to the to the murder of Ethan Hawke. And it's like, boom, 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 like happens, happens, happens. And then before you know, I'd say within the first, feels like the first 15 or 20 minutes of the movie, that's that whole section taken care of. And then the movie just, it, we then flash forward, I, I guess probably what, like 20 something years, 20, 25 years. And we're reintroduced to um, the Prince Alexander, Alexander Skarsgård character as a fully grown man. Um, that's pretty, it's pretty quick how that happens. Uh, I was happy with it. Um, I mean, I don't think you really kind of needed to go into that kid's uh, backstory anymore. It's just you kind of had an idea of where he was going to go because he let you know right out the gate, this is what I'm going to do. So, you know, he just focused on that for probably, you know, 15, 20 years. And that's what he became. I really kind of like that. the the uncle uh, Fjorn, I believe his name was. Um, how you're meant to to really kind of despise that character for for what happens, but then later on, uh, they to trick you in a way where it's like, not that you feel sympathy for him or anything like that, but you see that he's almost like a changed man, you know. Um, He's just trying to, he lost everything. Now he's trying to raise his family in a, a way that the, you know, he's not, he's not really raising kind of like these villainous scoundrel people. They're, they're just, they're a little bit probably softer than, than he was growing up. And maybe he doesn't want them, you know, crazy and bad the world is. So I found it like super interesting that you, you got that kind of perspective of of his character so he wasn't like really a one note character um and i really appreciated that so one something that i find uh that i thought about that um so the main character uh alex garsgar's character he saw everything to do with his father through the perspective of a child and so to him his 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 dad did no wrong. He was the the greatest guy in the world, kind of a thing. And then he gets killed, and then yada yada. He comes back, and the thing that kind of struck me was it was less that 
his father actually was a good person, it was probably more likely that his dad was a total asshole and the the brother that killed him might have had somewhat of a righteous reasoning in doing it because altogether he just seemed like a more put together person. And of course that's probably with the addition of the, you know, those 20 years losing everything and then becoming more humble. To me, it kind of seemed like it was just wrong perspective and that maybe that the uncle was the good guy, quote unquote, between the two of them in the entire time. See, I feel, I feel like the uncle end up being the same thing that Ethan Hawke was at the end because, you know, he tries sleeping with Anya Taylor-Joy's character. You know, he's sleeping around, but, like, he's basically made Nicole Kidman what she was before. You know, she's not really any better off than, you know, she was. And I felt like the uncle, well, like you said, he seems a little bit more humble and a little bit more of a good guy, but I still think he is just as similar a character as Ethan Hawke was, just not as brash or, you know, very gruff and stuff like that. But another thing I thought at the beginning that struck me was, you know, the question of he wants to avenge his father, but you start watching the movie and you start thinking, well, when does avenging your father just turn into revenge? And it takes on a whole new, you know, thought process. You know, when he becomes a berserker, you know, he's, he's, he's got that full rage as a berserker grown up. So, you know, he's dealing with just pure rage of just learning how to kill and pillage and stuff like that. And you kind of wonder as I'm watching it, does he remember like the core value of like what his mission is or else he's just given in to just the whole Viking culture and just kind of, I'd agree with that. Lost his way a bit. Especially with the, the body count that this guy has. Because if it was just about revenge, then honestly, it would have only been his own family members. But he killed quite a few more extra. Yeah. Well, <laughs> there's a few things I wanted to mention regarding this. So what's interesting about the movie and it, it, to to do with the beginning of the movie, and, and your, I think everybody raised really good points because we have to remember that this that essentially what Ethan Hawke is and essentially what all, a lot of these um, Vikings were, were slave traders essentially. So the moral ambiguity full stop. So we're dealing at a time where like, yes, he does see his father through ideal lens as a child with his father. He sees the best of his father. When his father comes home, he gives him a bear hug. He's like, but let's not forget that very beginning scene where his father returns back to the village, Ethan Hawke returns to the village. There's literally a, a tracking shot where all of these women in slave uh, um, collars walk past them. So automatically, like the we where I think what's tricky is, is if we will look at these characters through the lens of today, then obviously they're all morally bankrupt and all reprehensible. But given that that was their stock trade um, at the time, they're like there's blood on everybody's hands at this period of time. Um, so the, the movie does play it, it, it tows the line throughout and going to what Zach says too, is like when he, he seems to lose sight of what his, his mission is, 
I believe the movie kind of addresses that too. And I think that's why Bjork's in there because when he does do that raid on the village and, he, and he's basically a, a mercenary at this point, and that's a, like a Slavic village that they're raiding and they're raiding for slaves. Turns out obviously that they're raiding for slaves on behalf of his uncle. That's how we, we, we make that leap when he goes across to Iceland. But what's interesting is I think that's why Bjork's character's in there because she basically says like, it's almost like to snap him out of it and say, remember that tear was the last tear you are going to shed? Remember who that was for? I mean, you need to get back on track. You need to get back on, like, put this crazy ship behind you, kind of off in the wilderness right now, pretending you're a bear or a wolf with your mates in the woods, running around with your shirt off. Get get your head together. Get back in the game. Remember what it was you were trying to do in the first place. So, yeah, you're right, Zach. He does kind of, I mean, at this point, I feel like without that interaction from Bjork and without that spurring him on, I feel like he could have just went on doing that and probably not even pursue, pursued the revenge thing. He'd just been like... He, he seems like so broken at that point and so like like destroyed by his situation that he's like he's just essentially reverts to being like a, a, a killing machine you know i mean he's so young that it's like training a, a pup a dog you know mm-hmm. through like the most brutal method to become like the viking man mm-hmm. so the movie is based around the idea that he's seeking revenge for his father who he believes is this idealized person and that this is duty to revenge to revenge his father, uh, or avenge his father and his mother. So then, when we get the the twist and the realization that um, Nicole Kidman is obviously, she was down for this. She was actually unhappy with Ethan Hawke. She herself was a slave, and she was from Brittany, which is obviously Britain. And then she was brought across, but she was a noble woman who was captured by the Vikings, shipped back across as a slave for Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke fell in love with her or basically made her his prize slave, fell in love with her, you know, along the lines of um, what his brother tries to do with Anna Taylor-Joy's Taylor character. So, like, when we the reveal is that she was involved with it, and then she's like, hey, your dad was a piece of shit. I, your, your uncle was actually the real man. He was the man that I was in love with. You're right, Zach. There is a twist again, though, where she has ultimately become sidelined again, just like she was with Ethan Hawke. But then again, I feel like that was... It sounds like a terrible thing to say, but I kind of feel like that was how they treat women full stop. Like a woman was basically just to have, to rear your children and then you would just have sex with anybody else you wanted. You know what I mean? It was like, there's like, it's not as if she was going to have a picture perfect relationship with the uncle because ultimately that's just how they treat women. True. So, and I'm sure she was fully aware of it as well. I mean, what is she going to do to retaliate? Exactly. Yeah, and I feel like she's made peace with herself in 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 her place, and that's why I think she becomes very defensive of like keeping maintaining her status, to the point where she turns around to him and she's like, "Hey, well, if you do kill your uncle, then I'll just become your wife." You know what I mean? Which is kind of gross, and that weird that weird kissing. <laughs> but it's almost like she's just been trained to survive. Like she has to survive. Like she's had a horrible life, and she's basically doing anything she can to 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 maintain the level of life that she has. And then also to make sure that her her child, who she deems as her, like her real child, because it was with somebody who she loved, is like, that's the most important thing. So I think what the movie does, which is really clever and really cool, is subverts that revenge story. And when Skarsgård has a realization that his father was not the man he thought he was, his mother's not the woman he thought he was, uh, he thought she was. What's really cool is because of his relationship with Anya Taylor-Joy and her pregnancy, um, the movie flips it and now it gives him a reason to actually finish this fight 
You know what I mean? And it's, it, it's a noble mm. and just reason because his family and his love, his relationship with her is pure. He actually loves her. She's not his slave. He's not in a position of power over her. Those two are like a team and they become a team. And then they have, so really he's fighting for his bloodline at this point now, which is the future, which I think was a really cool twist on the tale. Yeah. I was waiting for that part to come up because whenever, um, uh, Bjorks, uh, came and talked to him and said, at the end of your journey, that's when her journey will start. And she just kind of left it ambiguous and open. So I was like, what does that mean? And then we get to the end when he leaves her on the boat, you're like, Oh, now it's her journey now. Yeah. Eric, you actually made a good point and I mentioned it earlier on, but you were talking about some of the movies that he cribs from. Yeah. Um, if you had seen, if was, well, if anybody's seen the original, uh, Conan, um, there's a great scene where, uh, he, he's escaped. He was a slave and um so yeah he cribbed from like that that uh slave scene and conan but then also when uh, uh schwarzenegger's on the run on the run and he find he's being chased by dogs and then he finds this cave that he goes into and then there's this there's this king sitting on a throne with a sword in his lap and uh he goes and he grab he grabs a sword and um and that it appears that the skeleton starts to come alive, but in actuality, it's just kind of crumbling down. Um, you get that kind of mirrored scene in uh, in the Northmen where he has to fight that um, skeleton king, whatever it is, uh, uh, in order to uh, take possession of that sword. So... Um, I think if if anybody has seen that uh that millionist movie you can do like a a shot to shot comparison um with how how all that goes down so I I think that's a great kind of homage scene uh that takes place there Yeah I mean something that I thought I wish they would have had was you know a lot like how the 300 Spartans had the the agogi or whatever like the training for the young I wish they would have shown how he got to the berserker mode. Like, I know they don't know how that is because it's just historical. It's just not possible. But, you know, I wish he would have come up with some kind of scene, a little montage of how they break down a young Viking kid and make him into just this war machine. I'm sorry, but okay. When you say that, the scene that popped into my head, uh, you've seen Mulan, the animated version. Oh, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> just the song where the will make a man out of you. Oh yeah. <laughs> only yeah, only selling scars card version. <laughs> I mean, we'll make a Viking out of you. <laughs> th- there is a whole movie in that though. Like there's that whole age <laughs> gap really where it's like, it, it, cause in my head, but I kind of like how they don't because then I can piece that together myself. You know what I can imagine? But like, obviously, cause he, mm-hmm. you see him leave his home Island or wherever it is uh, on a little boat. And then a, how, how he survived on that little boat by himself is crazy. Um, and then, he, yeah, then like, like, how does it, like, how did he get there? And then this, like that mercenary group, um, is fascinating with their, like the chant where they're all like dressed up as wolves and they're kind of like all like psyching themselves up around the fire. It's super cool. It's very like, um, it's, yeah, it's so mysterious and so like, um, visually exciting 
that whole section um and it's yeah you who knows who knows how he got there because that's wild because he's essentially yeah like when he's a berserker he's just like literally a killing um i feel like with with the action scenes in the movie too like for somebody who's not an action director i thought it was pretty good like do i think it had the best action i've ever seen no but do i do i think that i think that the action was like very capably handled i feel like if i could ask for anything more it would have been a little bit more sword fighting or a little bit more like swashbuckly kind of like i don't know a little bit but it it was also very grounded in the sense that you these guys were just like just like especially at the end the so the fight the 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 actual fight between him and the uncle which takes place in that epic like um it's a volcano um and it's a, it's a very very epic scene with the, the backdrop of all the lava coming down and those two fighting i thought i thought it was excellent but it, it is a little bit more like they, they're exhausted at this point you know wounded they're swinging around those massive big swords which must weigh a ton so you get that it's a bit more of a grounded fight than it being like you know what i mean like a straight up but i i think what i'm trying to get it get to is that like for somebody who's never shot action before i think he did a pretty good job yeah um yeah for sure uh, speaking about the uh, the violence in the movie, I w- I thought it was really good how it didn't like show all the more brutal bits. Like I I do like a good action movie, but whenever it starts to become just a hack and slash, then I'm I kind of tune out because I'm not a fan of. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so I like seeing the aftermath, like whenever he uh, killed all of his cousin's friends, and then like. Oh, mutilated yeah. <laughs> them and hung them up on the wall and like the what was it the shape of a horse or something yeah i, I think know. it was a so, horse uh so that was really cool i like seeing that i just didn't want to see him do that <laughs> if you get what i'm saying yeah <laughs> eric what about the uh the quidditch match with the mountain <laughs> <laughs> the quidditch match <laughs> that was I think wild it, yeah I mean, I, I think that was pretty cool because obviously he's going for authenticity. So I'm sure that that game existed um, or something along those lines. So I, it's it's super interesting. I mean, it was basically um, cricket, right? Yeah, yeah. It kind of it, it kind of had that vibe and uh, super violent <laughs> cricket. Um <laughs> And I'm, I'm glad that, I mean, you know, I'm glad that kid, we didn't see that kid get his head squashed <laughs> in. So, you know, that's good. That'd have been gnarly. I did think for a second that was yeah. going to happen. For a flash second, I was like, I was I like, this kid's dead. Yeah, um, yeah I'm kind of pleased because his head would have came flying off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was brutal. But isn't, aren't most sports though, competitive sports at some point based around some kind of combat training? Like historically, if you go all the way back, like they were all kind of like, a lot of sports are like from like blood sports or like gladiatorial games. Makes me think of the, uh, the Aztec game where they have the. Uh, it's highlight and like lacrosse. No, not highlight. No, Uh, no, the one where they like have to hit the ball with their hips and the ball is a human skull wrapped in leather and they have to get it through the hole. Oh yeah. You can't use your hands. Yeah, You got to use your hip to get it through the the little ring up on the side. And then the losing team got executed. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, what's funny though, like going back to Apocalypto, Apocalypto has that game where they make the slaves run and then they like, 
throw spears at them or whatever they do and they're like they like use them as target yeah. practice and that was like a game that they played then so again that's another reason part of the reason why this movie reminded me of Lipto. but like i thought that scene was good i do want to ask you guys so i've heard the the, the negative complaints that i've heard about this movie is almost non-existent like everybody seems universally in praise of this movie but a lot of people have talked about the pacing of the movie. So obviously the movie ramps at such a speed in the beginning. And I've heard a lot of people complain about the middle section of the movie. So like the middle act, uh, specifically when he goes out and just basically starts acting as a slave and then being on the, his uncle's ranch. Um, I, a lot of people complain that the movie slows down. Now, what do you guys think? Because I don't think that's the case at all. I liked it because it gives you time to breathe. And it also exactly. gives yeah. him the time to, you know, f- set out feelers, see what's going on, and then plan how he's going to do these things. Because if he just came back in full berserk mode and then just blood guts, blah, 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 then the movie would be about 45 minutes shorter and a lot less enjoyable. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I agree with that. It, it it gives you that kind of opportunity to see him as somewhat of a human being uh before everything starts to kind of ramp up again um yeah because if you don't take time to to really kind of develop the relationship uh that takes place and his kind of plotting and like this the story of the sword and like all that sort of like stuff it's just, it's just like all really good details kind of build um the story if you just kind of go from from action to slave to action sort of deal it they it would it, it wouldn't have landed as well but uh yeah i mean the, i thought the pacing was great yeah because i think if you take that if you take out a lot of that like you miss some yeah you, like you said eric you miss the the quest for the sword which i think is a great uh like side story and then you also miss like his burgeoning relationship with Anya Taylor Joy, which I think is fascinating, and like her her role as like she seems like she has some kind of power, like some kind of um, mystic power. Um, they don't really tap into it too much, but she does cast that spell at the end where she's on the boat and the boat starts moving forward and the gust of wind comes, and then she does she's she's performing rituals on the ground, which I think is all fascinating. So you would miss all of that. You'd also miss getting to see his um, uncle and getting to see like like the operation that he's running and like to get it like an insight into what it was like you know for the slaves and how they lived and like yeah i think you would miss a lot of rich details that are in that slower part of the movie but for me what all just as interesting is the the spectacle of it you know mm-hmm. and then like the funeral procession too that takes place and like everything that 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 was involved with that it was super interesting yeah, that f- that funeral procession was insane. Um, also made me uh <laughs> contemplate like you know my future plans for my funeral. I would like to go kind of along the lines of that burial. <laughs> I want all of that. I want the full shebang. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, we'll send you down the Cumberland. Yeah, and I'll, <laughs> I'll I'll put an ad on Craigslist for <laughs> minstrel willing to die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah which is kind of wild because i you know when that scene was happening and she was singing and they were moving around, i was like they're going to totally sacrifice her aren't they and then they did obviously mm-hmm. sacrifice her but like but in my head all i could think about was like what are you doing like run or like try to get away but she's just singing she's, you know she's, she's like, just really? gotta give her a final performance yeah you know? 
Oh, brutal. Absolutely brutal. I guess I guess uh, that's how she thought she would get into Valhalla or something. I don't well, know. I'm sure that's exactly what it was. No, I'm sure they probably said yeah. it was like nobility and dying for in that way. You know what I mean? Like I'm, if, I'm sure for her it was kind of like a, a position of honor almost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean. Like all of the customs and rituals are f- so fascinating, you know. Um, and I think. Yeah, I just loved it. I, lo- I love that whole element of it. And yeah, skipping that and skipping all of that time spent doing that would be a disservice to the movie. Um, you know, so I think the balance, I think you struck a really good balance with the action. Um, <clears throat> in terms of the climatic, climactic fight, uh, the ultimate fight between him and his uncle, um, I thought that was pretty good. I like, you know, uh, it, it, it was a little brief, but um, appropriately staged. It very much reminded me of 300. Especially oh. with the, uh, whenever he cut off his uncle's head and how his body kind of like slow-mo does the down to his knees yeah. and then kind of floppy, floppy down. <laughs> I'm pretty sure in 300, that was exactly what happened at one point. Yeah, it sounds about right. I haven't seen that movie in a long time, but yeah. I mean, I feel like I've seen that scene in a hundred of the movies too, though. You know, like that beheading scene. Fair enough. Um and, and a ton mm-hmm. but like that's probably just because he was wearing a loincloth and nothing <laughs> <laughs> well i just saw a video where eggers was talking about how one of the compromises he had to do was he couldn't show penises in that fight oh really scene. oh dang i yeah. really missed out <laughs> i was like that's a compromise yeah, he right? did well yeah because eggers did not have directorial uh, like final edit on the movie he didn't have the final cut and like yeah i guess that was a compromise he made to get the money to make it was that he couldn't really edit the movie. He didn't have final edit. So at some point, we may see a director's cut of this movie. I'd take an extra 30, 45 yeah. minutes. You'll probably get an extra six oh, to yeah. 10 inches, too, per character. <laughs> on the final. I see your Schwartz is as long as mine. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't really have much else. I mean, like, it's, I, I don't really have fault with the movie. And in terms of spoilers, like it's pretty cut and dry what, what happens in the movie um I, I i guess like if i had to wrap it up like for me my favorite obviously i've said this before my favorite part of it was the fantastical elements i really liked the the night blade but where you could only open it at night and then i like the scene of the guy trying to again <laughs> yeah, he just tosses it to the side yeah very king very king arthur very sword <laughs> in the stone though you know what i mean can't unsheath the sword and you can't lift the stone like the sword out unless you're worthy i think he was trying to do it in the light of the cabin though so that's why it wouldn't work so i wonder if he was outside in the dark he could probably open it Right. It, well, it was it was during the day. It's it only because whenever he found the sword, uh, uh, he was told that it only opens at night or in hell. Yeah, basically, I'd see. And so, <laughs> and so that's why he was able to use the sword up on the mountain in that final fight. But then, other than that, yeah, the guy couldn't pull the sword out because it was daytime. Pretty sure by that logic, though, that means if you were to go down to Broadway at any time of the day, you could open that sword immediately. Because <laughs> it's just straight up hell. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. Truly in the gates of hell. Um, yeah. Anybody else? Any final thoughts before we wrap it up for the evening? I really am looking forward to whatever he puts out next. Um, I think I looked on um, Letterbox, and there might be a movie called The Night. So I don't know if he's if his if he's just progressing along a timeline, um, or 
if that's just a placeholder or something like that, but I'm pretty sure his name was attached to it. Uh, if that's the case, I mean, I, I mean, I, the, he can do no wrong in, in my book right now. 100%. I, for me, this is my movie of 2022 so far. I admittedly, we're just heading into May, but so far it's the best movie I've seen all year. Hands down. Okay, boys, everybody go to bed. It's way too late. Um, thank you very much for uh, this episode. And thank you to everybody who's listened thus far. And thank you for everybody who continues to support the show and listen every week. And I do know that people listen every week because I see the numbers and we do get people listening. So you're out there somewhere. So if you're out there somewhere and you are listening and you have got to this point, drop us a line. That's what it's set up. We have on our, on the anchor page. You can actually contact us. You can leave a voicemail if you want us to cover anything. You want to bring up anything we've talked about in previous episodes. It'd be great to have a little bit of feedback or a little bit of communication and we could uh, maybe build an episode around it. So that's my request to anybody listening. For the love of God, just drop us a voicemail. And even if you're just one of my mates or a family member who's listening to it, drop me a voicemail. I'll pretend that I don't know you. Okay, thank you. Thank <laughs> you.